Happy New Year, and welcome to La Jolla Presbyterian Church's sermon podcast for New Year's Eve, Sunday, December 31st, 2017. 2017 has been a wonderful year of growth and excitement for the La Jolla Pres family, and we hope and pray that it has been for you as well. Speaking of growth, this very special service today incorporates the preaching and installation of Reverend Scott Mitchell. Scott is our pastor of congregational care, and we are so excited to be installing him into the position today. If you have questions or want to get involved at La Jolla Press, you can learn about what's happening at our website, ljpress.org, downloading the La Jolla Press app on your smartphone or tablet, or by contacting the church office at 858-454-0713. And now, here's Scott with his message for New Year's Eve and his installation service. And now if we'll hear the word of the Lord, taken from the book of Luke, starting with chat with verse 22. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came to the temple, and when the parents brought him the parents brought in the child, Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, Now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation of the Gentiles, and for the glory to your people, Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about them. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your soul too. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of eighty-four. She never left the temple but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At the moment she came and began to promise to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Thanks be to God.
Pray with me. Heavenly Father, open your word to us this morning and bless us deeply, richly, faithfully. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. In case I'm too overwhelmed later to remember it, I do want to thank everyone here for uh, coming to church as you normally would have this Sunday anyway, but uh, also just for those in particular who are uh, assisting in the service um, from the presbytery and from this church. I am so grateful to be uh, installed here as an associate pastor, and I in particular want to thank my wife, Laura, and son and daughter, Kate and Parker, and uh, Laura's mom is here as well, and um, just thank you for for everything, for just uh, your love, and all right, I'll stop there, but uh, I do appreciate, we've got some other family who are who are here this day as well. But um, I grew up going to First Presbyterian Church in uh, Concord, California, and my own faith journey is this amalgam of Grandpa Mitchell sharing the gospel with me whenever they would visit, and my parents faithfully bringing me to church, and then getting involved in youth ministry and mission trips. And, and in countless ways, the holy presence of God was made known to me over the years. And all of those events came together in a unique and holy moment on July 1st, 1971. When I answered God's call, I prayed a prayer with a couple of brothers from Upper Springs Christian Fellowship, and I became one of Jesus' followers. That summer of 71 is my favorite summer of my childhood. I look back on it with fond, fond memories. I have since come to realize, however, that holy moments don't only happen in the church, and they don't only happen around Christians. For me, they have always, however, involved the presence of God. While I was in high school, I became part of a Vietnam Memorial Committee in my hometown of Concord, and the goal was to create a memorial park to honor those who had died in the Vietnam War, a goal goal which was eventually achieved a number of years later. Though I know there were many more, personally, I knew of only one person who had been killed in that war, Roger Berry, who was the older brother of my friend, my high school friend, Glenn Berry. Years later, I was in Washington, D.C., and I finally went to the Vietnam Memorial. And as I walked into that sort of sunken hollow, I suddenly, it suddenly became for me one of the holiest moments that I have ever experienced. You know, that's the way of, of war memorials, isn't it? And there was this profound hush in the place. Grown men were standing there weeping. This was only uh, about 20 years after the the war had ended. Uh, Families were hugging each other. Uh, Individuals were placing their hands on the, the monument. And all of us in gratitude for and in awe about the sacrifice made by so many service men and service women. 
And I found the name of Roger Berry. And they would allow you to make a rubbing of that. You put a piece of paper on there and uh, go like this over it, and, and you get their name. And I still have that. It was one of the holiest moments for me because every name on that monument represented the costliest of decisions. Politics aside, there's something utterly holy about the willingness, the decision to give all for the good of others. The important things in life always involve some kind of heavy decision. And so I guess I'd have to say that some of the holiest moments that I've ever experienced, some involving the biggest decisions I've ever made or witnessed, were not in church or even around Christians. They still were, however, laced very heavily with the presence of God. But they had nothing necessarily to do with the church or with Christians. This morning we're going to explore a very Presbyterian three questions. First, does Jesus belong to Christians? Second, who does Jesus belong to? And third, what is this sword that Simeon speaks of that will pierce not only Mary's heart, but our own hearts too? Let's look briefly at that first question. Does Jesus belong to Christians? Now, interestingly enough, Jesus' parents dealt with that same question. When they came with Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem, Mary and Joseph had several things they needed to do in order to fulfill the law. And so they gave the purification offering, did that already. And then they, they had to follow Exodus 34, which said that every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And then they also had to follow Numbers 18, which said that the firstborn sons were redeemed by a monetary payment of five shekels. So this child redemption offering is something like an offering of thanks to God for fertility. So then it followed that if you didn't pay the five shekels, it might be interpreted that you were intending to leave your child in the temple, perhaps to dedicate that child to God. And there were instances where that took place. Think of Samuel in the Old Testament, and we, we spoke about that. Paul did a few weeks ago. Here's the thing. While we learn that Mary and Joseph paid for and offered up that purification offering, we have no word in Luke 2 that the family ever paid the five shekels to redeem Jesus from his belongs-to-God status. There's no record that Mary and Joseph actually paid that redemption offering for their firstborn son. And while there's no record that they didn't pay it either, is Luke implying that Jesus is the firstborn son of no one but God alone? No one, not even Mary and Joseph, can redeem Jesus because Jesus himself is the Redeemer. Well, who knows Luke's thoughts? But I do think there's something refreshing about the fact that we Christians don't own God. Now, Christians are particularly called to speak 
to the world about God, to spread the good news of the gospel, to evangelize. But Jesus does not belong to Christians. God is not ours to manipulate. God is not our personal bot. We're not given algorithms for God. Though it's been done before, to our shame, we're not allowed to use God like unto a a blunt instrument for our own purposes, even to force people to believe in God. We're not allowed to use God to compel others to do what we may think God expects of them. Oh, and also of us. When it comes to our relationship with God, we Christians are only allowed to be used by God. We are the tools of God, not the other way around. And just like Mary and Joseph, we don't own Jesus. Jesus owns us. In fact, we were bought with a price. And God is at work in millions of ways that even we Christians cannot possibly imagine. God is drawing near to people and drawing people near to himself in, yes, ways that we know about, but perhaps even more so in ways we have no clue about. Apostle Paul captures perfectly the abiding presence of God in Philippians 4. He says this, Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Friends, wherever we find the true, the honorable, the just, the pure, the pleasing, the commendable, the excellent, the praiseworthy, whether inside or outside of church, there we will always discover the handiwork of God. Thank God we Christians don't own Jesus, but he does own us. And as we are his servants, so we are also called to serve God's world. Well, let's move briefly to our second question. Who, if anyone, does Jesus belong to? I think we get at our answer fairly quickly when we look at our passage. Master, and these are the words of, of Simeon, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. If we read Luke's gospel correctly, Jesus isn't simply God's gift for the chosen people. Jesus is, yes, for Israel, a light for glory to your people Israel. But just before that, we read that Jesus is also for the Gentiles, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles. And and Gentiles are basically anyone who isn't a Jew. Includes most of us here. And if we didn't get the message yet, even before that, it says that God's salvation has been prepared in the presence of all peoples. 
the world. Jesus, it would seem, belongs to the entire world. So it would appear again that outside the church is where the world's peoples discover or should be able to discover through Christians the most abundant evidence of God's holy presence. Friends, the prestige of following God does not result in us having less responsibility in the faith, but more. We who believe in God and are called to be the presence of God in the world must expect always that our growth in the faith will prompt God to require greater and greater deeds of grace from us. We owned a, a, a cat once that exhibited this greater and greater deeds of grace quality. In fact, we had uh, two female cats at the time, and as was, since our children were in preschool and, and all of their teachers were Miss This and Miss That, we named one of the cats Miss Pringle and the much smaller cat Miss Kitty. And uh, it was also hearkening back to the old Gunsmoke show. But anyway... <clears throat> Like Mary and her cousin Elizabeth, both of these cats became pregnant at the same time. Only a little bit different than Mary and Elizabeth. Um, Well, even though Miss Kitty um, was going to have kittens, she never really put on on much weight. and She was a very skinny mommy. So Miss Pringle, the bigger, stronger female, has her litter first, and she has only one kitten. And um, it's no problem for her to take care of that kitten. It's, uh, they were, they were, it was born underneath Kate's bed. <laughs> and a week later, <clears throat> Miss Kitty had her litter with five kittens, also under Kate's bed. And right from the start, we could just tell that feeding these kittens was going to be a real challenge for Miss Kitty. Well, strangely, after um, a few days, we caught Miss Pringle stealing kittens out of Miss Kitty's box and and taking them down the hallway underneath Laura and my bed. And um, I was afraid that she was maybe going to kill them, and so I, I rescued them and I put them back under Kate's bed in Miss Kitty's box. And the same thing happened about two or three times until I finally decided to see what, if anything, would happen if I just let nature run its course. What was nature's way? Well, like clockwork, Miss Pringle stole the kittens out of Miss Kitty's box again. Only this time I waited. We waited and then we checked under our bed to see what dastardly deed might be happening in Miss Pringle's box. We found Miss Pringle nursing Miss Kitty's kittens. Miss Pringle had already had her own kitten to worry about, but somehow she sensed that Miss Kitty's wouldn't survive if she had to nurse all of them. And so Miss Pringle stepped up, saved not only the life of Miss Kitty herself, but all of her kittens. And by the way, Miss Pringle's one child was born on Easter, and so we named her uh, Lily, Miss Lily, I think. (laughs) Friends, never forget that at one time uh, at an installation service, you were compared 
to cats. Um, but that cat, Miss Pringle, felt to our family like the very presence of God. It was amazing. Seriously, following God will not result in us having less responsibility in the faith, but rather more. Well, finally, our third question. What is this sword that Simeon speaks about that will pierce not only Mary's heart, but our own hearts as well? Simeon is described as a righteous, devout man on whom the the Holy Spirit rested, and, and he had been looking for the consolation of Israel, the Messiah, all of his life, and he was an old man, hoping to see the Messiah before he died. And, and so his first or, uh, oracle is a Hebrew pe- uh, prayer. It's a baraka, praising God for fulfilling a promise. And then we get this dark sort of prophecy. This child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Ever notice how the important things always involve some kind of heavy, weighty decision? Mary accepts the challenge of being Jesus' mother, little knowing the ways in which her own heart would ultimately be pierced. Jesus may have been given to the world by God for the benefit of all people, but it will still require a great decision and perhaps sacrifice. Do we move toward or away from God? Because no matter who we think Jesus belongs to, at some point each of us must decide whether we belong to Jesus. A sign from God, embraced or opposed? Either way, Simeon declares the outcome, the rising and falling of many. And a sword will pierce Mary's heart as well. Parent will one day bury her child. While pastoring in Big Bear, Laura and I made friends with a couple there, and they had both been married before, but the wife had, was a widow, had been a widow. In fact, she had lost both her, her husband and her son in the same accident. Apparently, the, the father and the son were diving somewhere off the coast of California, and the father had surfaced. And um, he was on the boat, and he was waiting for his son to emerge from the water, but the boy wasn't coming up. So, of course, the father concluded there was a problem, and he got back in the water, and he went down to help his son. It turns out that the boy's lines had, had gotten tangled up in seaweed somewhere down there. And so, after the father was unable to rescue his son... Though he could have saved his own life, he elected voluntarily to remain with his boy, and he thereby sealed his own fate. And that's how they found him, a son held fast by seaweed, a father holding fast by love. The most important things always involve some kind of decision. Friends, 
there was a decision made by God, a piercing of God's own heart, when his own son, Jesus, came as our consolation. God and Jesus Christ came and plunged into the icy water to be with us, to die with us, ultimately to rise with us. And so I simply leave you on this installation, worship, last day of the year with a question. What decision, however you define that, will you make? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, your heart was pierced. Mary's heart was pierced. Jesus was pierced. But in those heavy decisions, immense good and blessing has come. Lord, help us to be a part of your blessing, to be a part of the love that you bring to this world. And may we exhibit that here in the church, but we, may we exhibit even more of it outside the walls of this place so that we would be noted as your followers as those who love fiercely and graciously. May we do so, Lord, as a decision in our hearts into the new year. Thank you, Lord, for 2017. Bless us into 2018. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen. Thank you, Scott, and thank you for listening. You can find a complete listing of what's going on around La Jolla Press on our website at ljpress.org. That's l-j-p-r-e-s dot o-r-g. Or call the church office at 858-454-0713. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.